Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. My next guest is Nate Koch, who is a very well-known physical therapist based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Nate specializes in working with endurance athletes, and he founded his business, Endurance Rehab, in 2003, which has become an internationally known sports rehab center with athletes in his Arizona location, but he often travels to meet with teams and individual athletes on location. He is a consultant to the World Tour cycling team, Trek Segafredo, and recently returned from their early season training camp in Spain. You may have seen Nate as a contributor to many publications, including Lava Magazine, Triathlete Magazine, and the book Triathlon Science. I hope you enjoy the show and come away with some tips to help you prevent injuries from occurring and speed up your recovery. Nate, thank you so much for joining me. You just uh, kind of hopped off a plane a couple days ago, right? I did. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Dirk. Appreciate it. And yeah, I'm, I'm finally getting uh, my legs back underneath me after travel. <laughs> so tell us more about uh, where you're at. Um, well, I was over in Spain. Um, this is my sixth year working with uh, Trek Segafredo World Tour team, the road uh, men's and women's team. And um I go over to Europe to their team camps once or twice a year. And of course this year was quite different. Um, we skipped our December camp and we went straight into January camp and, um, yeah, with lots of protocols in place to make sure it's, it's safe, of course, for everyone. And it's, it worked out really well. Yeah. Super. I want to dig into to that experience and lessons learned for our, for our listeners, but, uh, maybe just a short kind of background uh, around your education, you know, where you came from and how'd you end up in, uh, building endurance rehab? Sure. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> it's, it, it, I'm from the St. Louis area, went to St. Louis university for uh, physical therapy and I did athletic training. So I started working with sports teams in, in college. <clears throat> um, and then I was really fortunate to get on with, uh, NFL team right after college and, um, and worked, I spent three seasons with, uh, the St. Louis Rams. And then I realized that, um, that that wasn't for me, the NFL wasn't for me. Um, and then I decided, well, the NFL is not for me. Then I, I think St. Louis probably isn't the place I really want to be either. I was more becoming more interested in cycling and, and, uh, running. So I moved out West and, um, I started working in Arizona and then again, realized that there really wasn't, there's was a lot of facilities focused on soccer and football, basketball, traditional sports, but, but nothing really geared for the endurance athlete. And so that <laughs> prompted me to found endurance rehab, um, in 2003. Yeah. Wow. Going from the NFL, that's a, uh, it's gotta be given up, uh, kind of scary to chase, uh, age group triathletes around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite different. Um, it's actually not as hard on the body. That's for sure. <laughs> Working on those 300 pound guys was quite tough. Um, but yeah, it was, it's a, you know, that was a unique thing. I was real fortunate that I was able to do it, do that at the time. But, um, um, and some people thought I was crazy for, for leaving that world, but, um, and I really enjoy the endurance athlete and, 
um, the dedication they have to their training or maybe over dedication sometimes, which I'm sure we'll get into a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so endurance rehab, I, you have different, you have several locations and what do you kind of focus on within those uh, facilities? Are they somewhat unique each facility or, uh, did you just expand with throughout the Phoenix area? Yeah, we have three, uh, three clinics, three offices. Um, and they're all three primary focus is physical therapy, sports medicine, while we do some perform more performance uh, for endurance athletes, um, more performance-related uh, training and testing at our endurance Scottsdale location, meaning we have a metabolic cart for for VO2 max testing, and we do blood lactate testing there. We also have a, a treadmill that it is allows us to do 3D motion analysis, and it has a force plate in the treadmill. And uh, our neighbor there is is Port McGlenn with Psychologic, who is a really high-end uh, cycling analysis center. We work with them a lot on bike fit. Um, so that, that office does a, a bit more uh, of that kind of work. Our Mesa office does a little more um, soccer stuff. We're in a big soccer facility in the Mesa area. So some, some slight different things at each clinics, but overall, the overall theme is really is we're focused on endurance athletes, but of course we see all patients, we take insurance. And so that means we're, we're seeing, you know, anyone from a 12 year old with an ankle sprain to a 70 year old with a knee replacement. Yeah. And that's what most people think of when they hear physical therapist, PT. Um, it's the post injury recovery where they become the center of the universe <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah. for the athlete. They override the coach, right? Yeah, um, for sure. So, but the other side of the equation is really where probably the bigger benefit can come from for most athletes. I mean, if we consider, if we talk cycling triathlon, um, we might have at least 20% of the population or more get injured throughout a, a, a season and throughout a career. I mean, what hundred percent chance? Oh, first. Yeah. I mean, if you're a career that's going to last uh, per the average normal career of an endurance athlete, you're, they're going to be injured. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a hundred percent guarantee. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, that's our big, our big push and our big focus is on the prevention and prehab, um, with these athletes is, is trying to help predict the future of what may happen or what may come up, um, with these athletes so we can prevent those things. And that's, that takes a lot of teamwork between the, the PT or the physio and the, and the coaches that that's, uh, and in, in triathlon and cycling, it also includes whoever's fitting them on their bike. That triad of the fitter, physio, and coach working together is critical to reducing injuries. Since most of the injuries are, are overuse type injuries um, versus, you know, maybe now, of course, there's crashes and clavicle right, fractures and such. But, but typically, it's, it's, the, it's the overuse injuries. And the, the one kind of one study points out that it's predominantly in cycling anyway, it's predominantly low back spine injuries and, and knee injuries. Um, okay. and that, that study was done in Norway with professional cyclists and it, they basically said that while the back injuries are the most common, um, and they also required the most medical attention. The knee injuries actually caused more time off the bike. Um, right. And so those two things, again, being overused and positionally related, um, again, requires that 
communication between the coach and their training, the, the fitter and where they're at on their bike. And of course, then, then us as me being the physical therapist, okay, what, what makes their body unique or makes them uniquely, maybe uniquely getting these injuries, you know, they're set up for these specific ones. So. Right. So at the camp, if we were to be a, a pro on team truck, Segafredo, what would that experience look like, uh, at camp working with you, the coach and, and the fitter, How, what's that process for the athlete, you know, look like? I do uh, assessments on all the riders and assessment is about an hour and a half. And the assessment will include, you know, mobility, flexibility, strength testing, isolated strength testing, functional and core strength testing. Um, also, of course, a sit down review of the previous season, what injuries they've had, when it occurred and any discomfort they've had, you know, on and off the bike. So a pretty detailed, um, physical assessment, musculoskeletal assessment for me. And then, and then I discuss my findings then next with the fitter and what they're finding on in their bike fit. For example, why are they, um, why is there more pressure, um, in the left foot versus the right foot? Or why, why is their pelvis rotated forward on the, on the left versus the right in the saddle? Um, and so I'm, for my job is to tell them, well, okay, they, their left hip is restricted. That's why they they're rotating that way, or that's why they can't maintain that specific position. Or when they go to the velodrome to do testing, why can't they maintain an arrow position? Why are they struggling to maintain an arrow position? And there's, there's good bio uh, reasons for that. And some athletes, they may not just have the, the mobility in their hip joint or in their spine to maintain that position for a length of time of a time trial. They may be able to do it for, you know, 10 minutes at the most, uh, or maybe 10 seconds in some cases. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's understanding the why of the, why they can maybe tolerate a position or what positions are available. Some of these athletes come in and they just have limitations, right? And then they're just limitations we find in, and we can find in any athlete. Um, that doesn't mean their training has to be necessarily has to be adjusted or, or uh, reduced where others have had okay, every year there's a knee issue with this guy every year. And so, okay, we're going to work harder on these things. And okay, at camp, we might need to dial down um, some of the, the training um, on the bike because if he's continually having this knee issue and we need to, we need to get it sorted. So um, we do know that once you've, once you've had an injury, but once you've had a knee injury or a back injury, your likelihood of, of having that again is, is high. We are, we're more heightened to that to figure out the what we think is the cause of that, and then uh, adjust training as as needed. Right. So then you're you're effectively comparing notes or passing along your findings to the fitter, so that they have a clearer picture of of why they're seeing what they're seeing on the bike and possibly the range at which they have to work within. Yeah. What is going to be tolerable for the athlete? You know, what, what they're seeing is that related just to a pure fit issue, a bike issue, whether it's, you know, a cleat position or a saddle, maybe they need a different saddle, or is it doesn't matter what saddle, doesn't matter what cleat you use, it's their body. And so until they fix their body, they're not going to look great on the bike. Right. So I've heard you state this in the past. It's kind of like, you're going to your dentist, your dental checkup every six months, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, yeah. I mean, so you're, 
it, this is the prehab. This is the prevention uh, strategy here. And what does that look like for an age grouper coming into your facility? You know, what type of things would you take them through? And, and then ideally, I guess that that PT is working with the fitter in the ideal situation, like you just outlined, you know, in the in the pro team. For sure. I mean, that would in the ideal world, anyone that rides a bike should have a have their have a fit by by someone who's trained and, and um, experienced in doing a cycling analysis. Um, and then they should be working with a physio because that's not their specialty. Right. So I, I'm a firm believer in they have their specialty and they know exactly what all the different bars that are available, saddles, et cetera, frame, frame sizes, but they also don't know the body like we do. And so that's a perfect marriage in my opinion. And so for sure that's in any age grouper can do that and they should. And then if they have a coach, then it's the next step is okay. Discussing these things with coaches. We have a few, we work, we've worked with, um, the Canadian, Canadian and USA, uh, triathlon, um, kind of Olympic hopefuls and their coaches are keenly, um, interested in what we have to say. Um, and so they typically sit in on assessments with us, um, with their athletes and then afterwards discuss them. Okay. What, what do we, again, what are we, we're trying to predict the future and, and, and they're trying to figure out training loads when this person's Achilles gets sore. Is, is that something that we should be pushing through? Or is that something that we um, have to stop immediately because of another reason? We just tell people too, even if you're not a tr- endurance athlete, you should be getting checked. Just like you mentioned as a, like a, like your dental checkup once a year or twice a year. Um, what things can you be working on to optimize your, your movement? Um, whether that movement is, um, running, riding a bike or whether that's just, you're working in your garden and you don't want right. to get hurt. So within your eval, you're also, it's almost independent of the sport in some regards. You're, you're, you're kind of finding these weak links. Each person is unique and finding those weak links. And then are you obviously prescribing some type of the strength mobility programs, you know, from there, you know, for the athlete to work on at home? Yeah. I mean, that's so, so some things in the exam would be, or assessment would be same across the board. And then some things would be, um, different sports specific. And, but in general, you can find lots of things wrong with people. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's Uh easy to go through a whole checklist of assessment on flexibility and joint motion and strength and find this whole list of things that you think you should work on. And then that equates to two hours of a program that then equates right. to no one ever doing that. Right. Cause it's not realistic. Right. Yep. And so yep. the thing that we try to teach, like, like this, just coming back from camp, this is what I try to teach the athletes. Cause they also have already had core programs they do. And, and they've seen maybe physios at home and, and back home in Belgium or Germany or wherever. And, and the, the concept that I try to help them understand is that, yeah, there's all these things we find, but what, what affects what affects you on the bike? What are the things that can are specifically related to the pedal stroke that will keep you on the bike or off the bike? And and so they're kind of dialing that down into very specific for whatever the activity is, whether it's running or, or skiing or cycling. What are the what are the key things that you need for that movement um, to keep you healthy? And and then and then from that, then going okay. I'm going to give you 10 minutes of this and 10 minutes of 10 minutes of mobility and 10 minutes of, of strength. 
And that's what I want you to do every day. And that, and being realistic that what, well, how much time effort are they going to be able to put in or want to put in to their body? Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and of course, all athletes are different. There's some that are willing to do an hour a day of it. Um, but in general, that's not, that's not typical. Um, in my experience, they, they'd rather be out riding their bike, running, skiing. They, this is not their favorite thing to do. So picking the right ones when you know you only have 20 minutes, which is really what we try to do with the, our riders and the, during the season is just to be, be a, have a successful program where they come in and I say, well, how'd it go last season? Were you able to do this stuff? And they say, yeah, okay, yeah, I was able to do that. Or, or you know what, no, I, I stopped. Once we got to the Grand Tours, I kind of stopped. It's just too much. Mm-hmm. Can't really, my body can't handle it. And so, of course, we want them to keep doing something. So it's, you know, again, my job to figure out, okay, what, what does that need to look like um, for their program? So. So, so back to age groupers, amateurs here, you know, do you feel everybody could make use of 20 minutes a day? I mean, is there, is there, should everybody do core work and or mobility every single day? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It would be my answer. Yeah. I mean, and certainly, yeah, if you can do more a couple other days a week, great. You know, ideally you do like a, what we like, what we do is like ideally a booster type program where you, okay, you're going to do this program. It's going to take you longer. It's only for a month. It's in the off season. You work hard at it where you're doing maybe an hour, um, three, four times a week, something like that uh-huh. Of, uh-huh. of strength work, core strength work. And then it's everyday mobility. And then, then once your season hits, so after four to six weeks of that, then, then it's the 20 minutes. And I think everyone can benefit from it. Um, and certainly it gets more important as you get older. Definitely. I was kind of fearing this interview cause I knew I'd, I'm not <laughs> stepping up. I'm not stepping up enough. So I did a few, uh, core routine exercises today just to try and make up for <laughs> lost time, but I need to do more for sure. Um, how about daily workout recovery? I mean, there's so many different methods out there. You know, you have the massage, foam roller, ice baths, compression, every, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, what's your advice to athletes around daily recovery, you know, methods, or you may not need them after, you know, an easy run or ride, but, you know, after your big workouts per week, what are you advising folks? Yeah, the science is not, the science, at least that that I'm aware of, there's nothing that is like this, you know, this unicorn for recovery with the cyclists again coming just from camp we we talk about restoring uh length um like in 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 cyclists of course we're we're bent over Mm -hmm. our bike and we're using very specific muscles and others we're not using at all um and so riding you know anywhere between four to six hours um every day you're you're gonna get muscles that are shortened and some stiffness and so just doing a, a relaxing easy stretch um after riding i think is is really important to restore things um back to normal and not create like a cumulative negative effect on on the soft tissue and, and joints um so so some that includes some foam rolling and maybe some prolonged um stretching to restore length to muscle and, and joint mobility and then I, I do like the compression, um, recovery c- compression boots. A lot of the riders and triathletes I know really like them. Um, I know the science isn't, isn't perfect on it, but, um, 
anecdotally, they seem to work really well and help with um, some recovery. Ultimately, I know if you have if you have a really good coach that understands how to build in um, some easy sessions and and easy easy rides, easy runs to help with recovery. I think that could be the most important thing outside of good sleep, which is a whole other mm. huge topic, of course. But sleep is as as you probably know is just becoming more and more critical it seems like for recovery right yeah i mean you you mentioned a couple things there kind of i didn't expect the first thing was the static stretch so this lengthening of the muscle you mentioned that for for post workout so is that not so recommended within a warm up routine how might warm up cool down stretching um differ yeah, for sure. And before workouts or before exercise, <clears throat> we would never uh, recommend doing static hold stretching and lengthening the tendon, lengthening the muscle. <clears throat> and there's there is some good research on showing that that can be a, that can actually cause injury or reduce power production. So um, that's our our kind of mobility work before exercise is is always with movement, is always dynamic and moving and mm-hmm. and and mostly trying to prepare. Uh, the muscles and the joints for for the activity you're going to do um, versus afterwards, you should just be chilling out, relaxing, and, re- and restoring. There's nothing detrimental. Static stretching is not bad. It's just bad when you do it at the wrong time. So we've had an, an athlete, a professional cyclist, that had some you know chronic low back issues, and and the best way f- for this athlete to get over it was restoring uh, mobility and length to the spine and as soon as this athlete was able to do that um everything just everything got so much better pain relief um sitting on the saddle normally where before getting saddle sores and ended up having uh, a surgery for a saddle sore um because they were sitting so far off from just being being stiff and and not having good mobility and so that that statics afterwards was a critical piece in making that making the vertebrae and the soft tissue more, more healthy, um, because you're restoring normal movement. Right. So how about some more around the warm up? I mean, I, sure. you know, you mentioned movement from warm up, and then when I, when I hear that, you know, I think bands, you know, I'm seeing more athletes actually using these super cheap $2, whatever, you know, stretchy bands and cords within a warm up routine, which Historically, you just like, well, I'm just going to go run around the block and warm up. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so we, that's what we definitely used to do. So like just an example of the program we were doing this these last couple of weeks um, in Spain, we start with some movement based um, without a band first, um, where it's just, just kind of loosening things up. We go through a series of, of movements, all dynamic movements, and then we, then we grab bands. And then... Yeah. We for sure we're using the bands to either do one of two things: either they're really light bands and they with light resistive, just to get the muscles kind of we just wake up the muscles, get them working a bit, get some blood flow, and help warm things up. And then the second is sometimes we'll use those bands to also then increase mobility in a joint, um, which is a totally separate thing. It's more of a this is more of a physio type. Um, technique where we'll use a band to increase maybe hip mobility, for example, on the bike, we're using that to distract the hip joint or, um, change the orientation of the hip joint, maybe a little bit, reduce some pressure so they can get a little more mobility in it. So, so two maybe separate, um, reasons we would use bands, but, but for sure 
we're using that. And in general, you mostly see it to help increase the blood flow. And that's, that, that's preparing for your body to get to work so that when you hop right. on the bike, you're ready to go, you're sitting straight on the saddle, you feel warm, you're loose, um, and you're able to engage all the stable, little stabilizing muscles, not the prime movers, um, in the cycling and pedal stroke, but the, the stabilizers. So, okay. We've been focused a little more on, I guess the prehab, uh, but now, unfortunately, people do get injured. <laughs> so, so let's jump over to the kind of ugly side of the equation here. Uh, you mentioned most common cycling injuries more around the, the back and knee. Um, how about anything around running and swimming? Any- yeah, yeah. For for running, it's certainly the knee is 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 big in running too. It's one of yep. the most common for running too. And then second would be like low, you know, foot ankle injuries, which include, you know, Achilles tendonitis, tendinopathies, plantar fasciitis, metatarsalgia, um, those type of things. So in, in running, you'll certainly see more uh, foot and ankle stuff than you do in cycling. And then again, still a lot of knee stuff. And, and then you'll see some upper, upper hamstring, high hamstring injuries. You typically don't see a lot of in cycling. You'll see that in running. And then in swimming, it, uh, it's, it's more shoulder than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they, t- they, they have less injuries, um, than, um, than cyclists or, or runners do, but, um, but for sure they, they tend to have more overuse injuries to their shoulder. So how about advice around when to train or not to train? Um, you know, that's a big open uh, yeah. question, but any advice ar- around that or when to go see somebody perhaps? Yeah, that, those are good. Those are great questions. Cause that's that's always the tough decision is it something i can work through or is it not something i can work through i think if you're asking that question you should get it looked at it's easy to see easy to give an answer once you've seen it uh, or once i've you look at a, a muscle or joint or something you can say oh yeah that's it's okay to train through uh, when in doubt you should you should take a day off I, that's that's our message to our athletes if if you're not sure take a day off and um, uh-huh. and see how you feel do a little recovery. Everything's great. You're good to go. You take a day off and it's still bothering you. It's, it's time to get it looked at. Um, and the sooner you do, the faster you can get back to your normal training schedule. Um, the, the worst thing, and this is unfortunately the most common is that people try to <clears throat> Dr. Google and they try to self-treat it and, and they're still kind of training. Maybe they've dialed it back a little, but not taking really any rest days. And they're, they're just trying to self-treat it with like foam roller or something at home. And, and then now it's been, you know, up two to three weeks and they're still injured before we see them. And, um, and then the injuries become more chronic and it takes a bit longer to get better. Yeah. I think, you know, if it's, if it's affecting your training on a regular or daily basis and, you know, obviously then therefore it's a pain level above five, um, that's, obviously a point at which you should reach out to somebody. Um, I, I could have asked this earlier within recovery, but when I had a, an acute traumatic you know, injury from a ski crash and I tore my calf muscle, um, I went through, I did acupuncture and dry needling and you know, was with the PT. And I was actually doing, I would do like acupuncture day off, dry needling day off, you know, kind of this routine for 14 days. 
Um, and it really helped, but what, any experience around acupuncture, dry needling? Yeah, we, what, we do in, in Arizona, we're, we're able to do dry needling and, um, and most of our therapists do it. Um, and I'm trained as well. And so we, we certainly use it and, and find it really effective for soft tissue injuries in, in the same kind of routine you have, it's not something you'd want to do daily. Um, mm-hmm. th- there is some, for sure, some soreness after it. We would, we, some, we have some athletes that like to use it as for prevention as well. And there is some studies that after you do it, if you train after needling, that it does reduce your power and it can re- reduce your performance. And so ideally that's not the, maybe the right treatment modality to use if you were going to go train afterwards. That's the only uh-huh. time we probably, you know, would say, ah, you know, you know, if you're going, you have something big coming up, let's not do that. Let's do some other things. Um, when it comes to, if you're doing it for prevention for an injury like yours, um, for sure, you're not, you're more concerned about getting healing done than, than anything for me. And just like the reason we do the banded uh, warm up stuff to increase blood flow, our treatments when they're soft tissue injuries are, should be related to increasing blood flow to help stimulate the body's natural healing response. And, um, mm-hmm. and there, there's a lot that goes into that bio biochemically, um, and hormonally that, um, helps with your overall healing. And so that, that can be, you can use needles, you can use, um, the scraping tools, you, you know, you can, you, you can use other ways to just stimulate some blood flow in that area. Um, and in muscle bellies, they, they heal faster. There's better blood supply in tendons. They don't typically, mm-hmm. they take a little bit longer. And so that takes a little more work to get them, um, kind of back to where they need to be. But, but we have great success with it. Yeah. I absolutely needed a day of recovery after, you know, it kind of got better the more sessions I had. Um, but I actually, you, you know, you, you'd feel worse, you know, that evening and the next morning, but then you can feel it kind of come back from there. So that was my only experience with it and it it worked out really well. Um, this is a a kind of out there topic that is actually maybe ignored too often. So I'm going to kind of throw a a curveball at you here. What about concussions? Um, you know, oh, yeah. we talk about we talk about prehab. You don't really warm up your brain for a concussion, <laughs> but you know these uh, these protocols. I mean, you mentioned soccer. I think maybe they're farther along in it than than cycling and triathlon. But what's your experience around you know protocols around concussions or before yeah. you know before versus after you know and the value of yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's super, I mean, it's a good question and yeah, you make my brain work trying to answer it, which is good. We, we do, we do have the testing with our, with, uh, trucks like Afredo, we do some testing and, but that's only been in the last couple of years. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. Wow. I've never seen that. I've been to 50 training camps. Yeah. Yeah. It's only been, it started last year was the first year I believe that we did it. And, um, I think it came from the downhill enduro world that, that program, like a lot of these programs that are out there is you're trying to get a, a baseline on what the person's cognitive level is and what's quote normal for their brain. It can mostly computer-based testing. There's some balance testing and they test eye movement and, and, and neck motion and, and those things. And, and then if someone sustains uh, a concussion during a season, then you, you have something quote, a normal baseline to compare them to versus nothing. Cause there's no standard otherwise. And, um, and so 
unlike an ankle where you see the swelling in your ankle and you're like, okay, that's injured. We know it needs to look like, look and perform like your other ankle before you're ready to play. Right. Um, right. The brain, we have nothing. To, we can't see the swelling. Um, yeah. And the MRIs don't show anything usually or CT scans don't show anything. And so we don't see anything. Um, and there's nothing to compare it to another side to compare it to. So you really just hope if you have these baseline tests, when the person is healthy, then you at least have something criteria to, to use to, to get them back again, to say when they're ready, because the most important thing is that you don't send them back with symptoms. And then the second concussion, when you've had symptoms, it, it's, it can be much worse. Um, and, and cycling as a whole, like you said, it is, I think behind these other sports, but it's, it's slowly coming, I think. And like I said, our team's doing it and, and, um, but it, it's, it's, it's taken some time to get there and there's no foolproof way to, to know. And of course, a lot of athletes don't want to tell you that's in all sports because they want to keep competing and playing. They don't want to be told to, they're, they'd be super fearful to say that you can't, you can't ride your bike for a month. I mean, that's, that's, would be terrible for a triathlete or, a, or a cyclist to hear that. Um, right. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're learning more about that too. And learning more about, we, we went to the extreme where we were taking athletes out of competition and training for long periods of time until they were totally symptom free before they could even ride a stationary bike. Well, now we're learning, of course, that that's not the ideal either, that, that the body needs the movement. You do need some exercise. And, and so we're incorporating that sooner, but again, it's, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be certainly the concussion as, expert at all, but, but, um, but I do pay attention to what, what's happening in the sport and, and in other sports. And, and I know we're, everyone's still learning on how to manage these things. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear. It's actually getting incorporated into, you know, at least one of the teams, I'm sure others have started as well. So it's just a great to see that. You know, there's been some emphasis on that, you know, and when you see it, a crash on TV and they, the person's obviously concussed and they put them back on the bike and push them in, yeah. you know, that's, we've seen that on TV before. And I think there's becoming more awareness around the, you know, the adverse effects of doing that. So, yeah. um, good to hear progression. Um, Hey, on another topic, I wanted to discuss, there's a concept in a study that I found that has to do with long-term training load, so chronic training load, and the ratio to the short-term you know, acute training load, and how that could actually be a predictor towards injury. It's, it's not always more miles are going to increase your injury risk. It's, it's this you know, chronic versus acute. Um, are you seeing that in your clinic whereby my, my example I think of is an age grouper goes off to a training camp and they're going to double their miles, you know, over the next eight days, boom, you know, injury that's acute versus chronic. Is that, is that right. a, a scenario and a case study you've, you've seen and, uh, how common? Yeah. I mean, that, that I, I really like that acute to chronic ratio, uh, concept because it's, it's putting terms to something that we, that we've seen for years, you know, in the clinics and, um, like we know that injuries are greater incidence injuries is much greater in amateur athletes than, than well, well-trained athletes, um, mm -hmm. let's say. And, and that, that has to do with, you know, the body getting used to the load and it's, 
a load prescription, basically. And overuse injuries are typically happening um, at the muscle or tendon in the connective tissue. So more often in the tendon than anywhere. And, and that is from an overload. And, but done correctly, then it can increase the, um, right. the density of that tendon and the thickness of the tendon and the protective effect of the tendon. So done right, it, it helps a lot. Um, right. For sure. So there is that acute to chronic for sure that a ratio that makes, makes a big difference. And you can really make, make this person more bulletproof if you're paying attention to that ratio and adding it appropriately, the in- intensity in the right way. Um, and for example, like we see a lot of runners that don't have good single leg stability, for example, like just standing on one leg and trying to do a single leg squat or single leg calf raise. Um, they, they would may struggle, struggle with that, but they can go out and run marathons. Um, but they're just running in that chronic level most of the time. But as soon as they go and try to do a 10 K or they run relatively flat rolling and all of a sudden they decide they're going to do hill repeats, boom, something happens. And they're, they're right. Their tendon is not really prepared for that. Um, the stretch uh, impact uh, response that you get from this alternative training. Um, and of course fatigue has a, has a lot to do with it too. I mean, that, that ha- fatigue is a big part of injuries in all sports, whether that's contact, non-contact. Um, but, um, this, this protective effect does matter. And I think over the last, I don't know how many years, few years, we've tend to prescribe a lot of jump rope for runners because they, they may be able to do the long distance stuff and at a, where their stride length is short and their, and the impact is maybe a, a little less, but as soon as they pick up the speed, what is required of the hamstring and, and the gastroc soleus goes up dramatically. Um, and mm-hmm. so preparing that area, like, again, like, okay, some of your movement prep before is you're going to do jump rope and you're going to jump rope every day for just a few minutes every day. And just, just getting that, that tendon prepared, starting to do the protective effect or create that protective effect in that tendon. Yeah, it's that delta from what the body has been used to versus what are you throwing at it now. And I think about the the virtue of consistency. You know, it's this consistent, moderate increase of load versus these sporadic, you know, ups and downs. The more sporadic up and down the training is, that ratio of acute to chronic increases, therefore risk of injury goes up. Um so that's sure. certainly a, a you know a word of warning for folks to think about as the as the uh, days get longer and warmer and you're gonna head off to Arizona for your <laughs> training camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we we yeah. that's I'm always trying to tell people like that's why they. I mean, if you don't understand training and I, I don't want to be your coach, I can help <laughs> you return return to sport. You know, get you back to running, cycling, pain free, but. But the managing the load is is really important, and it, there's a lot that goes into that. And and having someone to hold you accountable is it, it will make you the most successful, um, in, in my opinion. It's we we see too much of um, people trying to figure out their own training plans, and you know some are successful for sure, but in general that 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 tends to cause problems. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, super. Well, you know, I think uh, 
the 20 minute rule a day, yeah. uh, the consistency of training, certainly some underlying themes that people could, uh, do some self-assessment around and, um, Thank you so much for your time, Nate. Uh, how can people contact you and you on Instagram, Facebook, any of that? Yeah. I mean, if they want, they can email me. Uh, if, they, if they have questions, Nate at EnduranceRehab.com. Uh, we are on Instagram and Facebook, Endurance Rehab. And um, those would be the best ways to check out what we're doing. Maybe learn a few things um, that you can throw into your new 20-minute routine. Um, yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. Happy to, would love well, to see more healthy people out there racing and enjoying uh endurance sport than uh sitting on the sidelines in clinics like ours yeah absolutely well i felt guilty coming in today and not having done my 20 minutes a day so now <laughs> it's going to put a fire under my butt and i hope every other listener out there as well so thanks again nate uh we'll chat later and uh good luck to everybody uh this season thanks for having me Dirk. thanks for listening to the training peaks coach cast for more episodes visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge.